Hey, everyone. Welcome to Yellow Noise, a podcast by two Asian American sisters who grew up in the Bay Area. I'm Clara. And I'm Polly. Before we dive into our topic for today, I want to check in and see how you're doing and what's new with you. So what's been going on since the last time we talked? So the last time we chatted, we were both in Fremont catching up. And so since then, I have gone to Colombia. So I actually went to South America for the very first time and was in Colombia for about a week. I stayed in Medellin for a few days and then went up to Bogota and got to do that trip with my best friend. And then after that, I'm now recording this live from Denver. So have been racking up the miles and uh, doing a lot of flying. What about you? Tell me a little bit about what's, what's been going on with you since we last chatted. Right now, we're recording on a Tuesday. So over the weekend, I went to a micro festival camping situation. I was invited by Casper, and it was a festival that he went to last year sometime. And it's a festival that's been, I guess, annually thrown by this guy that we know for about four years now. And it was Mm -hmm. about 30 people out in Wilderness City, kind of near Yosemite. It was really lovely. It was a bunch of people that for the most part I hadn't met until that trip. And it was just a bunch of people coming together over a love of music and the outdoors. Yeah, I had a really lovely time. That sounds awesome. The music that was provided, was it friends of Casper or who were the people who were performing and what was the camping setup like? The camping setup, actually, it was like old Mormon summer camp situation that someone else had just taken over the property of and turned it kind of into an adult summer camp and so we all brought our own camping gear and there was like a nice little meadow that everyone camped at it was right next to this rushing stream and so we fell asleep to the sound of water every night Um, the dj equipment was brought by casper and some of his friends and so a couple people within the group of 30 that went were djs and so all the music was just provided by other people as a part of the group and the vibe of the the festival was really like everyone bringing something to contribute so you know someone brought snacks other people brought food and cooked it someone brought a typewriter and was writing poetry for people it was just melding of art and music and just general good vibes that sounds super cool. I know that you are a, a big camper and you've gone on tons of camping trips. I actually only went on my first camping trip earlier this year and I can see the appeal. It really is nice to disconnect from all the kind of hustle and bustle of work and electronics and get to experience nature, even though I know there was music, obviously, at, at your camping trip. But I also know you're pretty off the grid over the weekend, if I remember correctly, because I was texting you and like not getting a lot of response. And when you let me know that you went camping, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So I'm glad you had a good time. And also, I know this is not a person we talk about a lot. And lots of people might not even know that we have a brother, but our brother had his birthday just yesterday from when we were recording. So I know you went home to celebrate with him. How was that? So we actually just met up for dinner. We went to an all-you-can-eat hot pot place that he really, really likes. And we had our aunt and uncle in town, too, that I didn't know was going to be there. That's right. I forgot about that. (laughs) So they were also visiting. So, yeah, we all just had a meal together. And I left pretty shortly after because I still had to drive all the way back up to the city and was kind of down in the South Bay. So it's kind of crazy that he's, oh, my God, I forgot how old he is. 23? 23. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. (laughs) Crazy. But tell me more about Columbia. What was your favorite thing that you did or you ate? So 
the reason why we picked Colombia, me and my best friend, because both of us are looking to practice our Spanish. And we wanted to go somewhere where they obviously spoke Spanish, but neither one of us had ever been to South America before. So this was our first foray into South America. I will say that I liked Medellin better than Bogota. And honestly, when we were in Medellin, that's what everybody was telling us anyway. They were like, why are you going to Bogota? Like Medellin is a place to be. And we're like, well, we don't know. Like we really wanted to experience two cities while we were here. And unbeknownst to me, we were actually supposed to be in Medellin and then Cartagena. But my best friend booked a return flight from Bogota instead of from Cartagena back to New York. So she was like, well, I already booked the flight, so I guess we're going to Bogota. <laughs> Some highlights. The food is really incredible. My friend actually went on an exotic fruit tour on one of those days. So she got to go into this market and try all these different kinds of fruits that are native to uh, Colombia. We also went on this incredible walking tour, which I know we talked a little bit about free walking tours last episode, and we went actually on two. So one in Medellin and one in Bogota. And the one in Medellin was a hundred times better than the one in Bogota, so much so that we probably went to the first 20 minutes of the one in Bogota and then we just left the tour because it was so boring compared to our first tour guide in Medellin who was extremely animated. He really knew how to tell a story. He clearly has lots and lots of experience doing this. He's been doing his tours for nine years and has it like down pat. And he was just so engaging that I felt like I learned a lot, but was also really entertained. But did you fact check him? That's the real question. (laughs) We did not fact check him, but I think the thing that was most interesting about his tour was that he wasn't being politically like pushy necessarily, but he was discussing a lot of like the political goings on of what was happening in Medellin. He also talked a lot about Pablo Escobar and how, you know, that affected his childhood because basically Mm -hmm. right when he was born was when the rise of Pablo Escobar happened. And so he has this very vivid memory. He said like the very first memory that he ever had was when he was walking to kindergarten and a um, bar or club had like blown up the night before and he very vividly remembers like a dead body in the street and like oh, wow. that was his first memory and that really shaped his childhood I mean he grew up you know throughout all of this so that tour was incredible um, and then the top top highlight I would say of Medellin is that we got to go salsa dancing one night so we found nice. this um, Cuban salsa bar that was nearby the Airbnb we were at. We got to hang out and they usually have live music. We went on a Thursday, so it was just pre-recorded music, but it was so much fun. It was actually, I think, almost nicer that we went on a Thursday. It wasn't too crowded. And you know how at clubs they have women who like go around and like pump up the party. They like start the dance floor and they like get people to come and dance with you. They had two guys. I think that actually is real. I think that's just like in the step-up movies or whatever. (laughs) Okay, well, my best friend was telling me that one of her friends actually grew up at, and she was a, not a party promoter, but she was like a dance party starter for bar and bat mitzvahs. So she was literally (laughs) hired to go to these like bar mitzvahs and be the person who like started the dancing and like tried to get everybody else to start dancing. So all these like 13 year old kids would come and and dance on the dance floor. So it's it's a real thing. Maybe not at clubs anymore, but at this salsa uh, club, there were two guys who worked there 
And they would go up and they would like kind of invite the women to come dance because there were more women than men so that, you know, a woman would have a partner and and they were really great. One was more Cuban style salsa. The other one was Cali style, which I had never done before. So that was a little bit of toe stepping action on my end, but it was super fun. And every time I go salsa dancing, I'm always motivated to go and take more classes and find somewhere else to do it. So when I'm in New York later this year, I'm definitely going to go and take a couple more classes. Nice. Are you going to find something in Denver to go to? So here in Denver, I've actually started doing a little bit of aerial fitness, which I think you and I did back in Baltimore, like one or two times. It's a silk hammock. So not aerial silks, but it's one whole loop. I did a yoga class today. So it was with that before it was more like cardio fitness. Um, So I'm trying to get back in the routine of getting back to classes and things like that. And it's been really fun. It's been good to kind of get movement back. I've felt really tight, I think, from just sitting in airplane seats and being super cramped all the time. So it was nice to kind of stretch out and and do a little bit of exercise. Nice. I'm actually taking one of those reformer Pilates classes in a couple of weeks. I just signed up for. Yeah. I feel like Pilates is all the rage right now with, I don't know, the internet, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I think Pilates has been all the rage. I remember my very first boss out of college was very into reformer Pilates so much so she bought Mm. a machine and had a private trainer come to her place to train her. Okay. Well, maybe I'm just like finally at that age where it's, it's, <laughs> it's what we're doing now. So are you taking any particular like brand like SLT or it's called like core that? 40, but I think it might just be a San Francisco local brand. Cause they do have a couple branches here, but I don't know that it's like a nationwide chain. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's only 40 cool. minutes. It's going to be so short. You'd be surprised. I feel like people always think that 40 minutes is not very long. Granted, you are a dancer and you, you're you pretty fit, so it, maybe it won't be very, very hard for you. But I've heard people who first start doing Pilates, like they come out and they're just shaking because it's so <laughs> many micro movements that yeah. your body is just not used to moving in those kinds of ways. I'm sure it will be hard and I'm sure 40 minutes will feel more than enough, but I just haven't taken a 40 minute workout or dance class in so long or maybe ever mm-hmm. even. So I was mm-hmm. just surprised. And it was also only 99 cents for my first class. So, hey, if oh, it's amazing, not good, at least it was only 99 cents. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll check in next episode to see how you are doing in your Pilates journey. So this week, we're going to be talking about birth order and all of the stereotypes related to it. As you guys already know, Clara and I are sisters, and we did mention a little brother that we have, so that makes me the middle child and Clara the oldest. So to start things off, Clara did a little bit of research into different birth order stereotypes, so why don't we go ahead and start with some of that research that you did? Okay, so I want to start off with a little game for you. Um, So I did a little bit of research, and by research, I mean I googled and clicked on the first five links and then read all of them. So obviously, this is pure research and science that we're going with. (laughs) So I mean, most of them do say similar things. So I think like, when it comes to birth order and stereotypes, they're stereotypes for a reason. The game that I put together is that I'm going to list out some characteristics of the different birth orders, and then you're going to guess which of the birth orders this corresponds to. So there's four options. There's firstborn child, middle children, youngest child, and then only child, which has actually a little bit of a different stereotype. There's about 
five characteristics and then you can guess which one of them and then I'll tell you which one it is after you've guessed all of them. Sound good? Okay. I feel like I'm going to be really good at this for some reason, but let's try. (laughs) Okay. The first one, characteristics of this particular person, fun-loving, uncomplicated, manipulative, outgoing, attention-seeking, self-centered. Youngest. Okay, your guess is youngest. Okay, that's the first guess. The next one, mature for their age, perfectionist, conscientious, diligent leaders. Ooh, it's between oldest and only child. Can I come back if you give me another one if I'm doing elimination? Okay, all right. I'm between those two. Let me give you another one. Okay. The next one, people pleasers, somewhat rebellious, thrives on friendships, has a large social circle, peacemaker. Middle child. Okay. And the last one, reliable, conscientious, structured, cautious, controlling, achievers so you have two that you still haven't guessed all right i'm gonna say the first one so like the second description you said was Mm -hmm. only child and the last one that you described is first child first born okay you are weirdly good at this you got all of them right i freaking (laughs) nailed it (laughs) okay walk us through your logic why are you so good at this I feel like I've had a lot of conversations about birth order, actually. And we talked about this a little bit because I send you these TikToks, but I get a lot of birth order TikTok on my For You page for some reason. (laughs) And it's always the stereotypes that I see are, yeah, the oldest child is the perfectionist one. The middle child is you have to learn how to be people pleasing or to get along kind of or like make a name for yourself also to break out of being the, the middle child. The youngest child. Uh, I've also Mm -hmm. heard the stereotype of just being fun and manipulative because they're the youngest. (laughs) And then, yeah, I feel like only children and firstborn can be kind of similar, probably because the firstborn was an only child for a little bit. And so they have like similar Mm -hmm. mature characteristics. Wow. Leave it to TikTok to teach us everything that we need to know. TikTok University. Um, You nailed it. I was thinking you might get some of them wrong because I can definitely see myself in some of these other ones. So maybe let's start with middle children since you are a middle child. Do you feel like you resonate with all these characteristics? And I can I can say them again. People yeah. pleasing, somewhat rebellious, thrives on friendships, has a large social circle, peacemaking. I think yes, pretty much for all of those. I definitely am a people pleaser or seek validation. I mm-hmm. didn't know that that had to do with middle children in particular, though. I feel like firstborns are also people-pleasing, but... That was one that I definitely resonated with. The other ones, definitely somewhat rebellious, I would say. I think I was definitely more of a troublemaker than you were when we were growing up. I can agree um, with that. Has a large social circle. Eh, I feel like yes and no. I think I do now, but I wasn't... I guess, super aware that middle children in general had that stereotype. The last one, Peacemaker. I can also see that. I also feel like firstborn children probably have that characteristic as well. But when Mm -hmm. you say them all together and then against all the other kind of stereotypes that you listed, to me, this one definitely just read middle child. The one where thrives on friendships, uh, I can see in you a lot. You never really had any trouble making friends and you had to switch schools a lot in elementary Mm. school by nature of boundaries being redrawn, us moving, all of that. And I would always remember that almost 
immediately after you started school. You would have friends who wanted to invite you over, people who wanted to play with you, so many people who wanted to play with you that you actually had to exclude some people <laughs> at one point <laughs> that, I, that I remember. And so I, I can definitely see that. And even now, you obviously have a massive social circle in, in San Francisco. I'm always impressed how many people you're able to bring together. Like when I came to your birthday party and you had so many people who wanted to come out and celebrate you and you have these trips to Palm Springs or all these different places and you always have such a, a big group around you. So can definitely see that. I think that part only really grew in my later years, like after college, because I didn't feel like I had a huge social circle growing up. But I guess you probably saw that a little bit differently from an outside perspective than I did. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's see. When it comes to firstborn and youngest child, do you feel like those descriptions match me and Nathan? So yes, for firstborn, I think you can be a big perfectionist. You were probably more mature for your age, at least when we were growing up. And what were the other ones? At least when we were growing up. Uh, you mean not anymore? <laughs> I, I see what you did there. <laughs> well, I feel like these dynamics are only really, I don't know, apparent, I guess, when you're growing up, when you have all your siblings, siblings around you. I feel like everyone leads the nest, then they've already helped shape who you are, and then they're not so apparent anymore, I guess. Can you read me the firstborn description again? Yes. Reliable, conscientious, structured, cautious, controlling achievers. Yes. I feel like you are an achiever. You do like structure. At least you definitely did when we were growing up. What is conscientious? Actually, I'm not I mean, sure you, what you it think, means. This. You think about others or that you are very conscientious about oh, other people's yes. needs. Yes. I would say you definitely are. Mm-hmm. Almost too much sometimes, which is why I thought you might be a people pleaser too, which was in the middle child description, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah. hear that. I Actually, my best friend says the same thing. She's like, you care way too much about not necessarily what other people think. Like, obviously, that is important as well, but also other people's needs sometimes yeah. to the detriment of my own. So it's something I talk about with my therapist. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that accurately describes you, though, overall as the whole description? I think so. The ones that resonate with me the most are reliability, which is something that I feel is a positive because I like to be relied upon. I like being that friend that other people can lean on. Structure can be good, can be bad. I love having a structure. I love having a schedule. Even when I was growing up, I remember mom made me like a timetable of like how I spend my time every day. It was like, wake up, have breakfast. That was already, that was in the schedule. <laughs> then, you know, hooked on phonics for 45 minutes, then go to school and then come back, dance class, like all these things. And I think that definitely imprinted on me. And we can talk a little bit about why these are stereotypes and we can talk about in a little bit. I do feel like this does resonate with me a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, youngest child, Nathan, fun-loving, uncomplicated, manipulative, outgoing, attention-seeking, self-centered. What do you think? Honestly, I don't think a lot of that applies to him. I think the first two, probably, in that he is fun-loving and very uncomplicated as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do not find him to be manipulative or attention-seeking, actually. In fact, I feel like he is attention What is the opposite of attention-seeking? Attention-avoidant? Yeah, a little bit. And maybe he's different with his friends than he is with us. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't 
really feel that. Yes, I agree with you. Nathan's definitely fun-loving, uncomplicated. I do not see him as manipulative at all. Outgoing, I can see that. I remember growing up, dad put him in tennis lessons and his tennis coach literally said, Nathan is not here to play tennis. He's here to socialize. (laughs) And I think that is pretty accurate, like a pretty accurate description of, of what Nathan was doing. So he's very outgoing, which I think is a positive thing. Attention seeking, I don't think so much so now, at least not in our daily interactions. But then I think about how he has a Tesla. And that definitely is an attention seeking Mm. thing, maybe not within our family, but maybe externally, right? And also, I think as a younger child, when he was much younger, for example, when you and I were still dancing at the studio, I think he knew how to get attention because he knew he was very cute. Everybody always said that he was very cute. And he would, even with our dance teacher, like be super, super affectionate, I guess. And he knew that that would get him a toy because our dance teacher would give him like old toys from her son and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I think that can be, it can be construed as manipulative as well, I guess, in a way. But overall, the positive things of this description definitely resonate with me when it comes to Nathan. The more negative ones, I don't think so. I think they can be interpreted as such, but I don't think they apply as much here. I think that's interesting because I just think I didn't observe him very much when I was younger because he was so much younger than us. I just always saw him as this little kid and I did not maybe attribute any of like those characteristics of being attention seeking or potentially manipulative in like not a negative way. I just mm-hmm. didn't perceive him, I think, which is kind of <laughs> messed up. And and then now, like now that we haven't lived together in years, I don't really apply any of those, I guess, stereotypes to him other than, you know, fun loving and uncomplicated. <laughs> Definitely. Well, we'll have bring him on the podcast and ask him if he sees these characteristics in us. So I wanted to talk a little bit about why these are stereotypes. So a lot of the articles that I was reading says that these stereotypes come about because of nature versus nurture, essentially. Is it genetically predisposed that firstborn children tend to be reliable, conscientious, X, Y, Z? Or is it the kind of nature of how you're raised? And I think you were exactly right on point when you said, oh, firstborn and only child, like there's a lot of similarities because at some point the firstborn was an only child, right? Like for me, two and a half years of my life, it was just me. And so your parents tend to obviously spend a lot more time reading to you. That was a big thing that was repeated often that firstborn children, their parents tend to read to them a lot more just because they have the time to. They're a lot more careful with that child as well because they're very nervous. It's the first time they've held this like seven pound living creature. So as a result, because the parents are so structured and cautious, that tends to trickle down into the firstborn child. Then when the second child comes along, there is this rebelliousness because you are trying to kind of get the attention of your parents because you are naturally getting less attention just by nature of there's another person in the house. Middle children, especially because you're caught in the middle, you may act out to get that attention or kind of find the attention elsewhere and hence why you have these larger circles. Is it the end all be all? Are all people like this? No, obviously not. But there are some common themes and trends people have seen throughout interviewing hundreds of firstborn children, middle children, youngest children, etc. I think when you describe it like that and everything to do with how your parents treat you when you're raised, it makes a lot of sense. 
I don't think you're ever consciously really trying to act out, but you just mm-hmm. kind of end up doing it, whether it's to get attention or to make yourself seen or yeah, I don't I don't know. I never really thought about it very much, but now looking back, I can be like, yeah, I think I I did do that. <laughs> I talked a little bit, I think, on our podcast when I recorded it with you last year, growing up and then kind of looking back on our childhood, I think there's a certain amount of guilt that I felt because all the things that I did, you had to do, right? Like I played piano, so you played piano and then I went to dance class. So then you went to dance class. And then even going through high school, you had this pressure, I guess, maybe, I don't know, you can talk about it on teachers already kind of knowing quote unquote who you were and holding you kind of to the same standard that I had performed at, even though we are different people. And so I think that was an interesting kind of reflection for myself to kind of understand, oh, as a firstborn child, you do have this privilege of getting to blaze your own path in a way, even though your parents may be a little bit more controlling or a little bit more restricting because they're a little bit more careful with you, but you kind of get to pick and choose. And then if you do a good job, then your second sibling is kind of held up to that standard. And if you do a poor job, then the second sibling also has pressure to kind of overcome that and not fall into those same mistakes. I don't know if that that resonates with you or makes sense or you feel a certain type of way about what I just mentioned. I definitely did follow in your footsteps for a lot of, especially the extracurricular activities growing up. And I mean, it's it's hard for me to imagine it any other way though, because I don't, I don't know how I would have found any other interests either. And maybe it's just because I wasn't given the space to explore it, but it was like, these are the things that we as a family, know how to sign up for. And so you're also going to sign up for these. Um, I think it worked out for the best, to be honest, because it gave us a lot of things to bond over in the end. And I think that Mm -hmm. was great. And with piano, I guess we did choir, swimming, dance. I'm glad that I, you know, got to try all of those things. And now, like, as an adult, like, if there's things that I didn't get to try as a kid, like, I can go and sign up for those things on my own now. So, you know, I don't think at all that it was not a good childhood because of that and then on the other hand I feel like you had to go through so much unnecessary like (laughs) trials and tribulations with our parents I mean them also just being you know very frugal with money and and with you know that immigrant mentality I remember when you wanted to get a laptop for the first time you had to write an essay explaining oh why gosh, you just forgot about one. that but yes <laughs> and then as soon as you got one then I was like oh well I guess I get one too so by default you you know had to make the arguments for both of us <laughs> that also happened with like getting cell phones for the first mm-hmm. time because you really wanted one and you were probably well into high school at that point and probably all of your friends already had one too but because you know a family plan is four lines then I automatically got a cell phone too <laughs> right when you got one so I think I benefited a lot from also being, you know, the middle child in those instances. The cell phone one, I definitely remember. The laptop one, I must have blacked out from my memory. But now that you mention it, like I do have a <laughs> recollection of handwriting an essay on why I should have a laptop. Yeah, because so... you couldn't type it because you didn't have a laptop. <laughs> very true. Very true. Okay, fair enough. I feel like there are, you know, pros and cons of, of both ends and... There are definitely things that I feel like I maybe had to help pave the road for, if you will. Um, but at the same time, something I'm very grateful for is that our parents, I think, are pretty liberal when it comes to being immigrant parents. So 
there are obviously things that I had to do, like write this essay for a laptop. But overall, not the worst thing in the world, right? Nowadays, um, maybe that's why I, I like writing so much now, or, you know, you've said that I write pretty well. And maybe that's why, because I had all this extra practice <laughs> making <laughs> justifications for things. <laughs> um, so my question for you, do you wish you were a, a different birth order? Like if, you know, ideal world, would you want to be the youngest child, oldest child, or you like being the middle child? Any preferences? Given that there's no way I'll ever know what it's like to be a different birth order, I've never actually wished to be a different birth order. I love being a middle child. And actually, I fully embrace all of the stereotypes that come along with it. <laughs> I feel like it's almost ironic or something or in jest, but all of those rebellious middle child stereotypes, I fully own. And I'm I'm okay with it because I think, I mean, in a way, it really has made me who I am. And I think being able to find my own place outside of just being, you know, a sibling when, especially after we, we moved out of the home. I don't know. I feel like I was like forged in the fire a little bit. Being a middle child. <laughs> now, is this you being a middle child or is this your chaotic Aries energy? <laughs> that is probably fully in play as well. So. <laughs> what about okay. you? I like being the firstborn. I think that just like what you're saying, I can't imagine it any other way, right? I love having you as my little sister. I loved having a little sister growing up. It was so much fun to have someone to play with all the time and talk to and hang out with. So definitely don't have any qualms about being a firstborn. One thing I used to really want was an older brother growing up. It always just felt like, oh, there's somebody who's going to look out for you and protect mm -hmm. you. And I think maybe embodying that, I felt like I was maybe projecting that onto you to always want to stand up for you or kind of make sure you were okay and check in on you and things like that. So that was that was definitely something I think specifically maybe when I was starting high school that I really wish I had. And I think it was because I had a lot of trepidation about starting high school. As you know, I'm like very bad with directions. So moving from a middle school campus to a high school campus <laughs> was one of the most anxiety inducing moments because I thought I was going to get lost all the time. And so I really had wished that I had an older sibling who had already gone to high school and could show me around and all of this kind of stuff. So there was that at, at some point in time. Now, looking back, I, I you know it's not something that I care so much about anymore. Mm -hmm. My question for you, so mom and dad are both middle children, right? Mom specifically is the middle of three, and then dad is the fourth of five. Do you think that because they were middle children that they were more conscientious about how they raised us? Or do you think it didn't doesn't really matter what, you know, what order the parent is, kind of firstborn child is going to get this attention regardless. And this is just kind of how it plays out. I fully do not think that they thought about it because I think it would have taken a lot of awareness of this kind of birth order stereotype in general in the first place to, to then do something about it, I think, with your children. And I just, I mean, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I don't, I feel like this whole thing is like a Western concept. <laughs> like, I don't know that they're talking about this in Eastern cultures. Maybe that's just, I'm ignorant, but I mostly only see white creators or white authors talk about this concept in general. I don't think that mom and dad really thought, oh, well, 
Polly's a middle child. She may likely be more rebellious. We may need to give her more attention or whatever. Or that, oh, we're probably tougher on Clara because she was the firstborn child and she probably had more structure and we should loosen up. Like, I just don't feel like that was the case. But interesting. Do, do you? No, I, I guess you're right in that this is definitely not a kind of Eastern mentality. And it does feel like this is maybe a more, I won't say a more recent study because obviously I feel like this has happened for generations, but maybe it isn't something that is ex- explored as much in, in Eastern culture. The main thing that came up when I was researching, you know, birth order in Chinese culture was this concept of having like a firstborn male our firstborn mm. son, right? Because of inheritance and primogeniture and all these kinds of things. And I did a little bit of thinking in terms of like, oh, do you think like mom and dad wanted a boy or anything like that? And I don't think it really mattered to them that much only because big reason why they came to America, right? They were kind of like bucking the norms of what it might be like to grow up in a more Eastern culture. I think you're right. Probably the circumstances that they grew up in were a little bit different from the ones that we grew up in as well, where we definitely had an abundance um, of things kind of in our childhood, which is very different from theirs. But I think this could be an interesting question to ask them maybe next time we all get together in terms of maybe what their experiences were like growing up. Mom has a interesting experience because she is the middle child but she's also the only girl in her family. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas on dad's side, he has like a pretty good mix of both boys and girls in the family yeah I do remember dad having a birth order book sometime later on like maybe when I was in middle school or high school and Mm -hmm. he just thought it was hilarious because all of the middle child stereotypes were like they kind of skew more on like the bad side if you kind of just take them at face value like the rebelliousness the people pleasing side and I remember he kind of made fun of me for it but it I don't think it really changed anything about the relationship Interesting. you know even though he was the fourth of five children he was the youngest boy so he also had that mm-hmm. that was a little bit different but all in all I would say I think my favorite thing about being a middle child is that it's not just that I'm a middle child it's also that I'm an older sibling and I am a younger sibling and so I kind of feel like I get the best of all worlds because I definitely felt like protected and babied but in like a good way by you And I also felt like when I went to high school, you were a senior. I felt like taken care of, you know, and like Mm -hmm. I could be like, that's my big sister. That's cool. Right. And then also I remember being in the sixth grade with going to the same elementary school as Nathan and us waiting to get picked up at the same time. And I was like, oh, this is my little brother. Like I'm, you know, the older sibling here. I think that's definitely one thing that is unique about being a middle child is you get to experience kind of all of it sometimes. Interesting. I never thought about it that way, but that's really perceptive that you you do get to experience both of these roles and try them both on and you know lean into both positions. So now I'm <laughs> going to go back to wishing that I had an older brother again. <laughs> yeah, because middle child are the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of middle child is the best, have you done any thinking back or reflection on the people you've dated and have they also been middle children or older siblings or youngest or anything like that? Looking back at everyone that I've dated, they've either been oldest or middle children. I've never dated someone who's been the youngest child. And I don't know if this is just a bias that I have, but I kind of feel like youngest children are just the most immature of the bunch, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if that is like, the 
the middle child that is also the older sibling part of me speaking. But I don't know. I don't actually know that many youngest children, actually. Like, even looking at my group of friends, mm-hmm. uh, most of my friends are also middle or oldest children. What about you? I think I think that makes a lot of sense, mostly because most of the people that we're friends with are probably also immigrant children, right? It seems like a lot of our friends are kind of in the similar boat and there was probably a generation of folks that came over. So I think that kind of lines up in a way. I'm trying to think of Nathan's friends and if most of his friends are younger children. And I think so, right? Because because his girlfriend is also the youngest Mm -hmm. in her family. His best friend growing up is also the third child of his family. Yeah. So I wonder if there's something there. But also, it's a small sample size. So so I, I don't know. But, but I would say even after high school, like going into college and then after college, because I've made a bunch of new friends since then, I still feel like most of my friends are middle and oldest child. And maybe it's just like the environments I'm in are more suited for them. I don't know. It's interesting. So my best friend is a youngest sibling, youngest of two. My other friends, older sibling, older sibling, older sibling as well. I don't know. I'll have to do like a deep, yeah, I'll have to do a deeper dive on, on all of this. Recently, actually at work, only a couple months ago, I don't know why this, this topic also came up. So I'm not kidding. Like when I say I randomly know a lot about birth order which is why (laughs) I kind of nailed that quiz in the beginning but this came up at work too and we went through and tried to first guess and then actually asked every single person I mean I work at a tiny startup so it wasn't that hard but we asked everybody you know what their Mm -hmm. birth order was and we had basically no only children oh interesting I guess they're rare yeah maybe in today's day and age they're more rare I have a few friends who are only children and they have said it was very lonely growing up. I think mm. especially if you are a little bit older than me even, because that kind of growing up in the 80s, if you will, they that generation has the nickname of being like latchkey kids, mm-hmm. where their parents kind of just let them go wherever both parents were working. So they were left alone a lot. And one friend in particular that I'm thinking of was like, it was just extremely lonely growing up. And all he ever wanted was a younger brother because he was just by himself all the time. So Maybe it's a loneliness thing that, you know, families who who are able, obviously, to choose to have more children and have, like, the financial means to do that, it seems like you kind of account for for more than one so that your child has somebody to grow up with. I don't know. Obviously, that does not, (laughs) not something that I have personal experience with. Knowing what you know now about, you know, middle children, youngest children, older children, does that give you any insight into how you might want to raise your children? I mean, I think I will definitely think about it. So, I mean, what we said earlier about mom and dad, just it's just like an awareness thing, you know, with a bigger emphasis on mental health in our generation than in their generation, for example. I think these are all just things that I will definitely have in mind as I parent growing up. I think in general, like you want to just treat every child as an individual. And Mm -hmm. so even though it's easy to kind of fall into a pattern of just grouping your children together, which maybe is like what happened with us, like we just did all the same instruments and all the same sports and all the same extracurriculars, I would want to give 
if I had multiple children, the opportunity to explore their own passions and kind of Mm -hmm. go down whatever route that they would want to go down. And if they happen to choose the same hobbies, like, great. But it also, it's, it's like a lot of privilege and resources, though, to be able to probably afford multiple hobbies for multiple children so mm-hmm. and then also Absolutely. a lot of time to shuttle everybody around so I don't know that that's a tough one <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely not an easy thing and you know credit to our mom and dad I do feel like like I said they did give us a fair amount of leeway in terms of doing things that feel kind of untraditional right to the immigrant family path I always like to joke around with people that you know I didn't fulfill any of the three job stereotypes that um, an Asian American can be like an engineer, doctor, or lawyer. But with you, they got kind of two out of three with a doctor and an engineer. So I was like, yes, I can, you know, kind of go and do something creative or, you know, not um, or off the beaten path, if you will. So, well, I'm really not a doctor. I'm a fake doctor. So <laughs> still counts. You were first in line for the vaccine. So I think that that still counts. <laughs> uh, but what about you? If you when you think about in the future potentially raising children, how does birth order play into all of that? Well, I have a bit of spicy take on this is that, you know, I don't necessarily want to have my own biological children. I mean, don't hold me to this. Obviously, my opinion is subject to change. But one, I think having children in itself, right, is a a pretty big commitment. And also in today's day and age where our world is already overpopulated for me to like bring in a biological child of my own is something that is going to take a lot of, I don't want to say convincing on my part, but a lot more thought than, you know, when I was 15 or 16 was like, yeah, I'm going to get married and have like two children and one's going to be a boy and one's going to be a girl and, you know, like have all my, my future mapped out. So all that to say, I think you're right in just being more conscientious about this, right? Yes, obviously, when you have only one child to take care of that person and that that child is going to have a lot more of your attention just by sheer nature of the number of hours in a day. And this is definitely not an end-all be-all good example, but I don't know if you remember this show called John and Kate Plus Eight. It was on TLC and it Mm -hmm. was about this couple that first they had a set of twins and then they had a set of sextuplets or right? Is that six six kids all at once? Even though the, the, those kids, they all had the same birthday, they would do a special day for each of those kids so that they had their time with the parents. So it would just be like one of the children going out with both parents and it would be like, whatever you want to do. And so some kids would be like, I want to go to the zoo. And then another kid would be like, I want to do the bouncy gym or whatever. Making sure you set aside the time for to treat, like what you're saying, to treat each child as an individual, I think is, is super important and something to be conscious about. So as we're wrapping up our podcast for today, Let's give each other our recommendations for what we're watching, reading, and listening again. Why don't you start? The show that I'm watching right now, I have been slowly making my way through the second season of Never Have I Ever. It's a show created by Mindy Kaling, and it follows an Indian-American teenager as she is navigating the trials and tribulations of high school. And I'm really enjoying it so far. The first season was already pretty fun. It's actually narrated by John McEnroe, and he is the kind of subconscious of the main character. Her name is Davy. And what I really like about it is that it does feel like a more real experience um, than maybe most high school shows, for example, Euphoria, <laughs> where the kids are just putting glitter on their face and doing a ton of drugs. 
I have heard that that is an accurate representation of how high school is. I Right now, I don't know, but never have I ever feels like a more accurate experience of what my high school experience felt like um, as an Asian American growing up. So have you seen the show as well? Yeah, it was actually on my recommended for you watch no way. Uh, list this week. <laughs> I just finished season three because season three came out on Netflix a couple weeks ago. So I have what? been watching it. Yeah, I've been watching it pretty consistently from when it aired. And so I had just finished binge watching season three. And yeah, I really I really like it as well. I, I agree. It's a great representation. It I do like feel seen by that show. And mm-hmm. it's definitely a little silly. You know, it's it's for teens slash young adults maybe we're like slightly aging out of the demographic but also they still touch on a lot of like the parents or the older cousins relationships that are still you know very applicable I guess and so yeah I mean I guess I'm recommending that you watch season three (laughs) I didn't know there's a season three I thought I was I thought it was on season two and I was doing such a good job of staying on top of the times (laughs) (laughs) I must have seen new episodes and then I was like oh let me hop right back into it and completely miss the season so okay well that kind of makes me feel better that I have even more to watch so okay great amazing recommend everybody go watch never have I ever the thing that I'm reading right now is green lights by Matthew McConaughey so it is his memoir and it talks about you know how he got his start in acting and how he I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's (laughs) as far as I've gotten so far, he's kind of in the throes of his acting career. So I I don't know, you know, what happens after. Obviously, he's been in lots of movies since then. I will say that it's it's very fast read. I'm already more than halfway through and I maybe started it late last week. And it's entertaining. It definitely talks a lot about his childhood and the kind of family that he came from and how it's kind of shaped how he is now. He also journaled and wrote a lot growing up so he has all these kind of snippets and stuff from his childhood from high school from college that he has saved and that he kind of scans into the books some of them are interesting they kind of give you some things to think about some of them are a little bit out there I would say like what kind of out there are we talking about okay I I was going to clip some stuff to show you and it's totally slipping my mind now it's stuff like, oh, we are, you know, and this is definitely not what he wrote, but I'm just going to give you the gist of what sure. it is. Not even paraphrase. Don't even, this is not even a paraphr- like paraphrasing of the book. It's just like, oh, like the only limit we put on ourselves is a roof that we built on our own. Like, the roof is what prevents us from reaching our true potential. And because we've constructed a roof, that's why we limit ourselves. So instead of looking at the roof, we should be in the process. So you know, like on the surface, it sounds pretty good. And, but some of it kind of feels like hits bong once and uh, <laughs> that kind I of see. stuff. Yeah. I so, thought you were going to say like, it was some um, Scientology or conspiracy no, no, theory no, 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 stuff no. out there, but okay. This is no, no, no. It's a little All bit right. more like woo woo out there. Okay. So I would say the stuff that is kind of biographical, I think is pretty interesting. I think that stuff is all really cool. He introduces this concept of green lights where, you know, when you're driving down the street and you hit all these green lights, like it feels so good, but sometimes you do need to slow down and and take stock of what's happening around you. And he Mm. 
kind of tells a story and he is like, oh, that was a green light for me. Like, oh, here's another story. And that was green light. And he literally says green light multiple times. And I think it's a little bit on the nose, <laughs> but the storytelling I think is, is quite fun. Okay, cool. I'll have to add it to my ever-growing list of books to read. <laughs> yeah, the more I read, the more that I'm like, oh, there's more that I haven't read. This, I mean, again, I'm behind the times on this. This book came out, I don't even know how long ago. It was a bestseller on the New York Times list for a long time, and I'm finally getting around to it. But my validation is I was on the plane from Miami to Denver, and the woman sitting next to me was also reading Green Lights. So oh. I guess it's still relevant. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing that I'm recommending uh, that I'm listening to is a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend, not the song by Robin, Call Your Girlfriend, although that is the theme song for Call Your Girlfriend, the podcast. And this also is again, a great song. <laughs> also a great song. Also, there's a great cover, uh, acoustic version. So if you want to give that a listen, I feel like that's right up your alley. And the podcast is actually two long distance best friends who talk about the political going us on they kind of update each other on each other's lives if that sounds familiar um <laughs> and this podcast actually ended in 2020 so this is again me going back to the archives and catching up on stuff that i missed out on they started the podcast i think 2016 or 17 did it for a fair number of years and it's one of those podcasts that they are both feminists um they're both really great writers one worked in silicon valley tech for a while and they talk about everything from what roe v wade looked like then abortion um women's issues uh women in the government they cover obviously the election between hillary clinton and donald trump and a lot of the falling out that has happened since then and one of the things that really strikes me is all the things that they're talking about and all the issues that they're fighting against or fighting for are the same things that we're fighting for today. And it just, you know, kind of goes to show you that things change, but they also say the same. History continues to repeat itself. And it wasn't really that long ago, right? It's like two presidencies ago that all these things were happening. And it has given me a lot to think about and a lot of reading to do as well. They reference a lot of articles that have been written and I try to bookmark all of them and, and kind of catch up on them and just catch up on what I feel like I missed a lot of. Obviously, I knew everything that was going on with the Trump administration and how terrible things were for women and for minorities. But just to like revisit that kind of from a little bit of hindsight, but also knowing that these issues continue to persist through today has been a really good exercise for my brain even if depressing at times I tend to listen to them when I'm running and it gives me like a lot of fuel to be like oh my god like we have to <laughs> break the system and like f the patriarchy and all this kind of stuff so I always like feel super jazzed up to take action and things like that afterwards and they do a really good job during the duration of their podcast raising money for different organizations and it's also given me a lot more organizations to be able to support too so would definitely recommend to listen to it um it feels kind of timeless even though it's been over for you know quite some time now yeah no that's a great recommendation and I'm always looking for more podcasts to add to the queue because I commute so often now and I started listening to podcasts on 1.2x speed so that I could get through more so I oh, am running out of content is the no that's way is too the, fast the... <laughs> 1.8 is, is the way fast. to go <laughs> okay okay give me so... your recommendation Yes. Um, so so watching was the same as yours. Never have I ever. So we don't have to rehash that one. So at the at, actually at the micro festival that I met, there was a, a new friend that I made there. Her name is Vivian. 
And I just followed her on Instagram after, you know, the festival. And I noticed that she was posting in her stories about an essay that she had just recently written. And so that is what I am recommending to you this week. It is an essay about MASH, the um, TV show, Mm -hmm. which stands for... Uh, it was a movie and then it was a TV show afterwards that ran for a couple like seasons. Got it. Fun fact. Did you know that our dance teacher was in the movie? In the movie? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. It was like a big article, newspaper article in our studio. <laughs> she watched, she like binge watched the entire series over the pandemic and then wrote this really beautiful piece about you know, her take on what happened in the movie, her time basically living through the pandemic and using that sort of as a coping mechanism, and then also how she was able to relate what goes on. I don't know how much you know about the show itself, but it like takes place during the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically a group of like medical army doctors. I think MASH stands for like medical, something like medical army, something hospital, like service. Yeah. Hospital. I don't know. It's just basically okay. about like, the doctors that go on site to to help you know wounded soldiers at the at the front lines basically so that they have a better chance of surviving when they go to the real hospital she just writes this, like really beautiful piece about her experience watching it and how she was able to relate a lot of that to what she learned about the vietnam war because she, her family is from vietnam yeah we'll link it in the show notes but it's you know a pretty short essay it's a good read Listening right now, I just started another new podcast actually called Add to Cart. I don't know if you've heard of this. I found out about this podcast because both co-hosts, it's hosted by two women. They were both on Asian Boss Girl, which is a different podcast. Both of them went on on different episodes to talk about their story and their kind of journey. But they run this podcast together where they talk about things that they add to cart. So it can be anything from like a physical item, like a beauty product or, you know, a new sweater or something. And then from there, they'll just kind of talk about like why they wanted to add that item. And like, it just, you know, spins into this whole discussion about consumerism or like what they value and why that thing that they added to their cart, you know, represents some part of what they value. And then they will also talk more philosophically about things that they add to cart, like I'm just totally making this up. But for example, to be like this week, like I added chaotic energy to my cart and like talk about like why that applies like to their life. And then they always bring on a guest too. So the guests will talk about what's like what's in their cart, you know, whether that's um, a thematic item or a physical item. That sounds like a very interesting podcast. I will definitely put it on my my listen list as well. Thanks for sharing your recs. If I remember correctly, we both started listening to Serial as one of the first podcasts that we listened to. I don't know if you followed this, but obviously by the time this podcast comes out, this will be old news. But on the daily today, Anand Sayed was actually released from prison. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I did listen to the daily podcast that you sent me. I don't normally listen to the daily because no offense, but I find the host's voice to be quite annoying. Michael Navarro. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but actually today's was uh, almost all with the original serial. Sarah King. Yeah. 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 I did hear that crazy news. I mm-hmm. actually spent a lot of time thinking about it because it's insane to think about spending 23 years of your life in prison for a crime you didn't commit and he was 18 or 19 or something crazy when he went to prison for Mm -hmm. basically what probably felt like forever 
Yeah, I felt like that was a, a good um, circle back to our kind of podcasting roots, if you will. I remember we both listened to it while we were driving up from LA when I was living down there. And look at us now doing our own podcast. So <laughs> it all really comes full circle. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to us talk about birth orders, getting our general updates about where we traveled or went to recently. And hopefully you'll check out some of our recommendations um, at the end of the episode. If you'd like to see more content from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Pod, And don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite streaming service. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.